It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Crossed Up. Anthony Sanfilippo is here, barely. Uh, and I'm here as well. Bob Wankel <laughs> to talk to you after game two of the NLCS between the Arizona Diamondbacks and Philadelphia Phillies. Anthony, uh, I'm glad to see that you made it. I'm glad to see that you're able to get up out of bed this morning. I know it was a late one for you last night. What time did you What time did you get home last night? It was 2 a.m. So, yeah, you, you had a day yesterday, and I don't, yeah, don't want to – you know, get into the particulars of it, but it was a long day for you, right? You had a you lot know, going it, on. It was a lot going on yesterday, and Bob, more than anything, like you know, the thing that drained me more than anything yesterday was walking from the Wells Fargo Center to Citizens Bank Park. Like it, it that was the hardest thing because I was, you know, without getting all the particulars, I had to start off at the Flyers game, which was two hours before the Phillies. Sure. And I left the Flyers game early. Um, and I said, oh, I just got to walk across the parking lot and go over across the street and get into the ballpark. And I was, ca- now I was carrying my backpack with my, you know, computers and, you know, I had my mic with me and everything else. So it was a little bit heavier than normal, but nothing crazy. And the Flyers had given us a, a media gift. They do this every year to give you something, right? And this year it was uh, like this box. And in the box was, you know, a, a nice notepad and pen. And, you know, they gave you a T-shirt and a giant bottle of vodka. Okay. <laughs> was part of the media pack, media media gift, right? And so now you're, I'm carrying that too. So it's just a little extra. And then having to weave my way through hundreds and hundreds of cars and thousands and thousands of people and the way that they had it all set up that you could only cross at crosswalks and i get it like they didn't want people jaywalking or anything but the the narrow space that they allowed people to cross through and you had 150,000 people down there yesterday was it took 50 minutes i put a tweet out about it it took 50 <laughs> minutes to walk from the Wells Fargo Center to the press box. That's insane. I had to, uh, I had to go out around 7.15 for a, a radio hit. Um, yeah. And I, so I actually left the stadium because it was just so loud. You know that there's not really a place to take that call. I didn't really want right. to bother the media relations guys. They look busy. So I just said, I'm going to go out to my car and take the call. And normally there's good cell service out there. It's not a problem. But when you have 140,000 people packed into that area, it becomes a problem. So the call actually dropped out midway through. But to your point, it was an easier walk for me. But just floods of Mexico football fans. I say football as in soccer. I mean, it was it was crazy out there. I mean, it was absolutely wild. It was a unprecedented night down in, in South Philly, one that I hope we never see again, just in terms of trying to run three events simultaneously at all those locations. Correct. I mean, we were sitting there after the game last night. We do all the post-game stuff. We're talking, and you look out at center field from the press box, and you just see 
hundreds of cars sitting still. I said, well, I guess I'm not going to leave yet. I finally rolled the dice around one o'clock, got my car and actually was able to get over the bridge pretty quickly and back into Jersey. But what a circus that was, man. Total. total. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. And and I've been down there for a lot of crazy events, right? I've been down there for a lot of even like Eagles stuff that, you know, it has gone on at the same time as something else. And you're like, well, what the hell are they thinking, making, putting something up against an Eagles game, especially with all the tailgating and everything. And it's happened before. And, you know, they, they've had three events in the same day, like two going on simultaneously and then one at night. And so there's a lot of traffic as people, some people are leaving and others are coming in. So like this kind of thing has happened, but not to this degree. This was the most unbelievable and hopefully the only time I ever experience <laughs> being in a situation like that because they felt there was an announcement at one point bob that every available parking spot in the entirety of the sports complex was full there was not an open parking spot for anyone well now that we spent four and a half minutes doing the (laughs) woe is us sports writers plight of trying to navigate the complex i guess we can get into what we're actually supposed to be talking about which is philly's just absolutely whooping ass last night. Uh, 10 nothing over the Diamondbacks. Yeah. I guess the question that I have for you right off the jump here is, did the Phillies break the will of the Arizona Diamondbacks last night? Is this series over? Yes. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, it was. It, it, keep in mind, I, I was of the mindset that it was over before it started. But last night, you saw it. You absolutely saw the difference you know, they kind of thought they were going to come in here and be prepared for yeah. what they were about to face. And maybe in your head, like you kind of told yourself that you're not going to, um, um, you know, be affected by Red October or anything like that. And as great as the fans have been, and they've been fantastic, there was it wasn't even that environment that got to the Diamondbacks. The Phillies just imposed their will yeah. upon the Diamondbacks. And it's it's almost like those games could have been played, you know, on an island, right? Like, and, and no, with no one there, the Phillies would have still murdered them in the way that they did. They just went out there and smacked them around yet again. Um, two huge innings where they um, batted around back-to-back innings that really kind of put the game away. It was because it was close. I mean, Merrill Kelly – to his credit, did a nice job first five innings of the game, right? Yeah, he, he did a nice job. And, you yeah. know, after the game, Rob Thompson actually talked about that. You know, hey, Merrill Kelly threw the ball really well. Um, and you said it, five innings, he only gives up the two runs, the two solo homers. Otherwise, he was pretty effective. So I know that when we look back on this series, we'll say like, oh, the crowd got to Merrill Kelly. Sorry, sorry, crowd. for On this one, I don't think the crowd actually impacted Merrill Kelly. I actually thought he navigated that fairly well. He yeah. made two mistakes. Two runs over five innings. Now he gets into the sixth, and then the Phillies started to bear down and get to him. But I thought overall he actually threw the ball fairly well. He he turned in a decent start. The rest of his team didn't show up. The Phillies outscored the Diamondbacks last night 10-0. Across the sixth and seventh innings, they scored eight runs on eight total hits, mix in a couple walks. They struck out 13 times the Diamondbacks did, and they were out hit 11-4 to in the game. It was a total beatdown. And then in the seventh inning, you see the Bryson stop pop-up go up, the miscommunication on the Arizona infield. One of the things that we talk about is how fundamentally sound they are and how well they play defensively. 
And then you're starting to see those issues. I don't think there's any way that you can say after watching two games down there this week that the Diamondbacks were not either, A, impacted by the environment to some degree, because I think the rest of the team was, even if Kelly wasn't. And then certainly, as you said, the Phillies just imposed their will. It's very clear who the better team is here. And I know it's baseball, and I know that we can throw out all these disclaimers. Like, it's a long series. Anything can happen. In 1954, this team came – that's great. And it could happen, I guess. But the Phillies are the better team here. And when you consider the way that they're playing, what Arizona looks like, the fact that Arizona is kind of a fraud to begin with, th this series feels over to me. It feels like it's not coming back to Philadelphia. And maybe I'm wrong, but it sure as hell doesn't feel that way. No, it's not. And and, and I, there's no way that this Arizona team is going to suddenly win two out of three in Arizona. And, and even if they did, Bob, which I, I think would be somewhat – surprising but even if they did do you honestly think they're coming back here and winning again like win win two more here if yeah. you go two and one at home in arizona are you coming then coming back to philadelphia yeah. and winning two games in this ballpark no like this is the series at 2-0 is over and it's over because the phillies are just bludgeoning Everybody. I mean, I have some stuff that, you know, I want to statistically that you want to talk about that like this offense is is so good right now. It's it's historic. Like it's doing things that no team in the history of the sport has ever done in the playoffs. And you even put out a tweet yesterday about their OPS. Yeah. It's like which is which is unbelievable as a team. What's was it? Nine sixty four. Yeah, so this postseason, the Phillies are hitting 284 as a team with a 366 on base percentage and a 941 OPS. I mean, that's what it was. I mean, honestly, like you look at that one through nine, one through nine, take the entire cumulative lineup production. It, they're producing as a unit, like an MVP player. I mean, that's that's what we're talking about here. I mean, that's yeah. like a top six or seven OPS in baseball this past regular season. And that's what they're doing one through nine. And you can't start picking apart different things and saying, well, if you remove this guy from it. But like, in all honesty, if you remove Johan Rojas from that, like, it's probably over a thousand. I mean, it's insane. So, I mean, what they're doing right now from an offensive standpoint is unbelievable. And one thing that I'll say to you is that – and I, I want to lead with Nola. Like, I really do want to get to him because I thought he was the story last night. But one thing I'll say to kind of contextualize what's going on with this lineup right now, Trey Turner is hitting 500 this postseason. He has a 1.526 OPS. That's like otherworldly, all-time stuff, right? Like all-time great type stuff. And he's just like one one of the guys in this lineup right now. It's like, yeah, he's he, nice job. Yeah, he's doing really well. But like, in any almost any other situation, we would be fixated on what he's accomplished this postseason. And instead, it's like, yeah, we, we should probably get to Trey Turner. Let's mix him in too. Make sure that we talk about what he's doing because you have so many different guys that are playing out of their minds right now. I mean, it's it's crazy to see how many of these guys are all rowing in the same direction at the same time. It's it's amazing. I get like it's he. It's amazing to think that a guy can be putting up those kind of numbers. We were sitting there talking about his on base percentage at the game last night, and like just yeah. like marveling at He's the been notion. Fifty six percent of the time this postseason. Yeah, it's like right? that's that's like that's hard, right? I mean, that's a hard thing to do. I mean, I don't know. I I, I, I don't. I, maybe I don't watch enough baseball, but like, that's if he can field a ground ball. Oh my yeah. god! <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable, right? Um, 
and and we're marveling at that, and yet it's kind of like not even a story, Bob. It's not yeah. even a story. Trey Turner's not even a like. Yeah, he's like fifth on my power rankings of Philly's <laughs> narratives right now. I mean, it's 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 truly crazy when you yeah. think about it. Uh, it's uh, it's 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 unreal right now. Like, what is happening? What is going on? They're they're just doing things that this is what's this is what's so different about twenty three versus twenty two. Like twenty two was fun because it was unexpected, but there was also a lot more uncertainty and anxiety and oh, is this going? You know, everything was so edge of your seat. The Phillies basically taken that out of the equation. Do you know how many guys have batted in a game in this postseason? With the Phillies trailing in the game, how many Phillies have batted this postseason? How many with Phillies, Phillies have in batted game? in a game with the Phillies trailing? Three, six, six. Okay, so the the ninth inning of game two. Yes, and, and then they were behind. They were behind one nothing. Okay, uh, twice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Six batters in eight huh. games have huh. come to the plate with the Phillies trailing in the game. It's uh, pretty, pretty wild stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, we looked at this this season and said it's going to be tough for them to replicate it because, and, and we know they're battle tested and we know that they have all these bright light players and Aaron Nola is just not Aaron Nola though. Like you can't run back the same formula, even with a better bullpen and the experience and Trey Turner added to the mix. If Aaron Nola doesn't work here, it this whole thing doesn't work. And guess what? Aaron Nola is making it work in October. And I know, and, and I know you have a story coming out about this. And I'm sure you'll point out that this really goes back further than what we've just seen this month. But yeah, I mean, another six scoreless innings last night. Again, I think that it's almost like an embarrassment of riches to a degree. Uh, he probably could have come back out for the seventh. In fact, after the game, Rob Thompson said he would have come back out yeah. for the seventh, but it was such a long delay because the Phillies were just pummeling the, the Diamondbacks into submission. So he goes six innings. He has a 0.96 ERA in three postseason starts. And I don't know if you want to talk about big picture, what this means for his legacy, what it means for him next year, what it means right now. But all I know watching him pitch is that is he, he that he is in complete and total control. We talk about all of the home runs that he gave up over 32 regular season starts. He hasn't given up a home run this postseason. He's yeah. been nearly flawless. What yeah. a remarkable and timely turnaround from Aaron Nola. Well, it's 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 really interesting, Bob, because it actually goes back a little bit further. Um, and this is what what my my story is uh, about, and it should be up by the guess by the time people are hearing this. So, Google Crossing Broad, you can find it. But it, it actually um, in the last twelve starts for Aaron Nola, the Phillies are eleven and one. That goes back to August tenth. You say, wow, geez, he didn't really look that good, right? In those 12 games, three, two, he's six and one himself, three, two, six ERA, 1.07 whip. Not bad. And that includes a game in Milwaukee, which I'm going to get to in a second, where he got clobbered. It was absolutely his worst start of the year. It was his the most earned runs he had allowed. He gave up seven earned runs in four and two thirds innings, the most earned runs he had allowed in, in a calendar year. Um and if you take that one bad start out, which I don't want to take out because it's it, it it's important because it's it's something there's something about it. But if you do take it out, in the eleven victories that the Phillies have had, is eleven of his last twelve starts. 
2.52 ERA, 0.979 whip. This isn't just something that came came about the last two starts of the regular season. Even though Rob Thompson said, oh, yeah, last two, three starts, well, it, it actually goes back further than that. I actually had an opportunity to talk to Aaron after his he did his big media scrum, and then I pulled him aside and, and had him for a one-on-one for a few questions, which where we kind of dove into this a little bit. And he talked about that Milwaukee start. He said, you know, it was a weird start because he actually said he felt physically, he felt good. And he got the, the Brewers just hit him all over the place. He gave up eight hits, three walks, another home run. Carlos Santana had a three-run homer in that game off him. And he couldn't quite understand, like, what was going on. And that's when he started to look at the video of it, and he realized there was something mechanical that was off. And it, it, they made – so he and, he and Caleb Cotham sat down. They started working on it. What do they had to do? And it just became a thing of repetition of his delivery had gotten bad. It's it's very It's very inside baseball conversation, right, about, like, what – physically was slightly off but he needed to kind of be more square to the plate needed to change his stride to stride towards home a little bit more um he was kind of off uh he was talking about how his glove side which was always kind of like his check mark um was off and that he was he was everything was arm side and so it his all his pitches need him to be more glove side uh in order to be effective and you know one of the things that he ended up doing bob to kind of and it's it's so it's poetic in a lot of ways considering who the guy is and how this season has gone. But the pitch clock helped Aaron Nola. And I don't know if you know I don't know if you know this, but so being right-handed, he tends to look at the the pitch clock on the third base side, right? Because it's the one you're facing. Okay. Well, what he did as part of this mechanical adjustment to kind of retrain himself because he put added a slide step in back. He hadn't done that since 2017. He re-added that back in with runners on base. So that was part of it as well. And there's other little tinkering things, but one little tiny thing, not to say that this was the cure-all, but instead of focusing at the third base pitch clock, he looked at the pitch clock on the first base side. It kept his body more square to home plate because he would look at it over his shoulder a little bit. So it would keep, I just, I guess just, the physical, the physical nature of it, sure. right? And that helped him get that stride back to where it needs to be. And then now all of a sudden the pitches is, is got his curveballs got more break, his changeups got more drop to it. You know, his two seamer runs runs a little bit better. Like the, all of his pitches start working better, all because of like just the ability to keep his body going in the same spot over and over and over again. And one tiny little mind's eye optical change was look at a different pitch clock. <laughs> and all of that is added up to him giving up two earned runs in 18 and two thirds innings this postseason. He's, yeah. he's allowed 14 base runners in 18 and two thirds innings pitch, a yeah. 0.75 whip. Yeah. How about, I think... this? How about this one, Bob? You ready for this? Aaron Knoll's got eight career postseason starts. In half of them, he's allowed zero earned runs and pitched at least six innings. Only one other player in the history of baseball has ever done that, and it's a guy named Wait Hoyt who last pitched in 1938. <laughs> he's a big-game pitcher, man. Yeah. That's all there is to it. There, he just is. Yeah. I, I think that you, he has another five, six, seven years in his career here, maybe more, 
And maybe it's possible that we all rush to judgment on what he was and his ability to handle the big moment a little too soon into his career. Um, it's like sometimes I think we rush to anoint certain players in the city as the next guy, yeah. you know, Mr. It, whether it was Carson Wentz or, you know, Ben Simmons, or I hopefully we're not saying the same thing about Jalen Hurts three years from now, or at least I hope I'm not. I know that you're Mr. 49er and all, but uh, this might be a case where we did the opposite and, you know, said, oh, he's not it. He's not him, Anthony. Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe he is him. I say that kind of tongue in cheek, by the way, for people that aren't looking at my face as I say this on YouTube. Um, I mean, yeah, he's been money. You talk about pitching him into the postseason uh, with the clinchers in the regular season the past two years. You talk about what he was able to do early on last postseason, what he's done through three starts this postseason. And I know, I mean, listen, they still have to win this series. He's going yeah. to take the ball in the World Series. He was not good in the World Series last year. There is no question about it. And if this team now, with all the expectations, they are now favored to win the World Series, I think by both experts and odds makers, if he goes out and has a bad performance in the World Series, you know that we're going to open up this case again and we're going to relitigate it and we're going to continue to talk about what he is and what do you do. But I think if you can not be so bound to the moment and step back and just look at the big picture here and realize what he's done for this team and the numbers that he's produced with such consistency and now has delivered a number of big time postseason moments. I don't know how you look at him and say like, this is, this is a guy that I don't want on my team moving forward. Like how, how could you? And it puts the Phillies in an interesting predicament yeah. because they were reportedly far, far apart. Uh, in their contract negotiations leading up to this season. And I don't want to talk about the big picture beyond the immediate here too much, but he has certainly undone the struggles of the regular season with these performances. Like there's no question. And we've sort of said this just kind of knowing the industry and knowing market value that if the Phillies weren't going to pay Aaron Nola, somebody else probably was going to even with a subpar 23. But now when you look at what he's doing in the postseason being a part of this run, there are multiple teams that are going to be very interested in his services. And I know he wants to be here. I believe him when he says that, and I'm sure that the Phillies would like him here, but are they going to open up the wallet and say, yeah, we can't let you go. And if they do let him go, they better have one hell of a plan B because this window should not close after 23. And it will if they only have Zach Wheeler and a bunch of guys that love Ranger Suarez. I'm going to talk about how much I love Ranger Suarez in a few minutes, but you need another killer at the top of your rotation. And right now, didn't think I'd say this because I've been critical of him. Aaron Nola is a certified killer. Quite I love, a predicament. I love, I love hearing that from you, Bob. I yeah, love hearing I mean, that from you. You got to you got to call it what it is. I mean, listen, there's been so many ups and downs with him. He he came in and was supposed to be kind of like the hope. When things yeah. were at their bleakest and at their darkest, he was supposed to be the guy that could help drag them out of this. And and to some degree he did. He got them back to respectable. He had great seasons, great starts, great runs, but they were always intertwined with disappointment and stretches of disappointment and inconsistencies that you felt like he should be better than or above at a certain point in his career. And like, let's be honest, like he was disappointing in the world series last year. He was disappointing in the NLCS. He was horrible. I, I thought he was flat out horrible this year. I really did. I know that there are some peripherals that say like, 
he was better than you think, and here's why he's still valuable, and he eats innings. And I get all that. I do. But the expectation for what he's supposed to be versus what he was, it was a, a true disappointment. But I love, like, I love guys that can fight through adversity. I love guys that show that they have some stones. And for him to rise to the occasion down the stretch when they absolutely fucking had to have it, for him to do that, dude, hats off to him. Like, I, I truly... It changes my entire feel and view of what he is. I mean, that's that's about as fucking tough as it gets, man. It yeah, really I, is. I, I and well, I mean, you know that I've I'm I'm someone who's always felt, you know, that Nola is a top of the rotation guy, and will continue to be a top of the rotation guy wherever he is, whether it's here or somewhere else. Um, so it's so it's nice to kind of hear that, right? I mean, because it's like you know, there there were times this year where I, you know, I will honestly admit I'm just like, did I misread it with this guy? Yeah. Like, you know, I questioned it. I questioned my my thought on it at times too. Um, but there was always something that I that you know, and just in talking to him and listening to him and listening to other people talk about him that kind of validated it for me. I'm like, okay, well, like, I still think this guy's gonna figure it out at some point. And not only do you figure it out, Bob, he's been, like you said, he's been a stone cold killer. And I guess the question is, and you know, we're going to really dive into it in a couple weeks. Um, Cause it's that, you know, as exciting a time as it is right now with the Phillies, it comes and fast, you're, you're, doesn't it? you're six wins away from a world championship, even with that and a potential parade days later, Aaron Nola is a free agent. And so we're we're really within two weeks of, of that happening. Where do you, what do you do if you're the Phillies? Like where what kind of investment do you are you willing to make? Like, do you go to the numbers that he was looking for preseason? Does this do these three playoff starts and the and the start to pitch them into the wild card um in the last week of the season? Do are they enough to, to sit there and go, okay, yeah, I guess we should give them that kind of money. Or do you still have a, a a ceiling and say it's either that or, you know, if you don't take it, we'll find it somewhere else. I don't think it should be about financial commitment. I think it should be about do we think we can upgrade beyond this? Like, do we yeah. think that we have an alternative route to getting this production that is at the same level or, frankly, is better? And if you don't have that option, and I don't know what that is, like, I'm not sure. I, I keep thinking, like, do they go to Corbin Burns? Like, do they go to Milwaukee and say, he doesn't want to be there. You're not going to pay him. Let's make it work. Yeah. Maybe. But Corbin, like, you know, here, here's something. Like, would you have, I would have said to you all day, like, yeah, give me Corbin Burns over Aaron Nola, right? Like, I would, I would have signed up for that in a minute. What did Corbin Burns do in October? You know, no. what's this guy doing in October? So, like, even that kind of makes you reevaluate everything. So, I, yeah, I mean, listen, you're right. It, it comes fast. You think you're you're in this and you're living by every pitch and every inning and game to game. And then all of a sudden, you know, you snap your fingers and you've got to decide what 24 looks like real quick. And I'm sure that they are having those conversations and coming up with the if this, then that type of scenarios. But, boy, it, it's going to be truly compelling to see how that unfolds. You know, I, I want to talk about uh, so many different things offensively and what they're doing and 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 what happens next. But I just ha I have to give you one more thing here. I mean, this Wheeler Nola combo, 
has just been unbelievable. Like we can talk about how the bullpen has been good. The whole staff has really been great in the postseason. I think Caleb Cotham's done a great job. When we talked to him after the clincher against the Braves, he credited what JT's doing behind the plate and how he's calling pitches and the sequencing and, and the whole, the whole production from game planning to sequencing to execution has been brilliant here through eight games this month. 37 and two-thirds innings pitch between Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola over six combined starts. They have a 5-0 and record. They have a 167 ERA with a .69 whip, man. They have a 45-3 to strikeout-to-walk ratio combined. It's insane what these two are doing right now. And, I mean, I guess this is a good transition point to, like, looking ahead in this series. I don't know if you're Arizona, where do you go from here? Like maybe, maybe you have some response at home because you have some pride in game three and you find a way to beat Ranger Suarez, which I wouldn't bet on, but even still knowing that you have to stare down those two guys again, I just, I don't know. I don't know where you go from here. It's a, it's a five game series at best, but it just is. I mean, I, like I look at the next two and say, can Arizona get one of these next two? Maybe. I, I think game four would be even more likely than game three because you're probably getting Taiwan Walker, right? And and not, not to say that the Phillies aren't going to hit whatever slop bullpen game the Diamondbacks decide to throw at them. But if there's a if there's a guy that maybe Arizona jumps on early, gets out to that lead, and is able to kind of figure out a way to hang on. I think game four is the one that maybe they can win. But are you beating Zach Wheeler? Are you beating Nola? Like if it gets to six, I, I don't see it. I, I think this is this is a five-game series at, at best. I, I Really, I think that the Phillies are just going to go in there and, and continue to do what they've been doing because they've been doing it to everybody. And, and like we'll, we'll go into, you know, one of the great follows for baseball stuff online um that people really should follow is sarah langs you ever you follow sarah langs yeah i do yeah, yeah she's great um at s langs on sports um she puts up some great like researched data mm-hmm. on on teams and, and what they're doing the phillies have hit 19 home runs so far this postseason they have the biggest home run differential of a team uh, versus their opponents in playoff history. Three games. How many have they allowed? Three? Four. Four. So Perdomo, Riley. Riley, uh, two. Riley has two. Darno and Riley, two. And, yeah. Yeah. And Darno, right? That's yeah. it. So 19. 19 to four. They've out homered teams. They have a plus 33 run differential in eight games, mm-hmm. which is the highest differential in an, any eight-game span, not just the first eight games, any eight-game span in the history of baseball. Think think about that for a second. I mean, that's that's we're talking about 120-some years of baseball yeah. history, and they're pummeling teams more than anybody else. Um and, and you know, we we, you know, we we can we can go into the you know here's one that not a lot of people are going to think about think to look at and this this is why she's she's really good. This was Rob Thompson's 
25th postseason game as a manager. He has 18 wins. That's tied for the most all time with Joe McCarthy and Casey Stengel in 25 in the first 25. <laughs> I mean, think about think about what we're yeah. what you're you know the the numbers that you're putting up here. Lowest ERA in the first eight games. Of what is, the he, is he eighteen and seven? Thompson in the postseason, yeah. seven and one this year, eleven and six last year. Yep, eighteen yeah. and seven. Yep. <laughs> Lowest ERA in the first eight games of a single postseason. Number one is the nineteen eighty three Orioles, who beat the Phillies in the World Series. One point two three was their ERA. Mm-hmm. Number two, the twenty twenty three Phillies. One point three nine. Yeah. ERA. Yeah, they've been awesome. I mean, it's, it's it's these are, you know, these are just unbelievable numbers that they're just doing things that have never been done in the history of this sport. I, how does Arizona come back from that? Like, you don't just suddenly stop doing those things if you're the Phillies. Well, one of the things that Tori Lavolo was asked last night after the game and sitting in the in that room, I know you were over in the locker room uh, doing your thing there, but they had asked him, like, Ken, you, you look at how the Phillies are slugging right now in the postseason, especially in this series. They've out-homered them 6-1. to one. Yeah. And they're like, can you win this series if you, if you can't find a way to slug more? And he said, you know, probably not. <laughs> like, we, we, have to, we have to be able to slug with them. The, the problem for the Diamondbacks is, and I know that they got hot in the postseason, they came in with 13 home runs, which is what the Phillies had at the start of the NLCS. But like they are not a slug team by by nature. Like they have right. some guys that can beat you, right? Like we know that Walker has some pop. We know that Carroll has some pop. Like they, they have some guys in that lineup, but this is not a, a bash you over the head type of offense. And the regular season numbers bared that out. They were bottom tier and slug. They were bottom tier and home runs for, for big portions of this season. That's not how this team's built. So if the Phillies are going to hit the way that they've been hitting. Like we can we can talk about the pitching matchups. We can talk about Suarez versus Brandon Fault. We can talk about bullpen game versus Taiwan Walker. But like if the Phillies continue to swing the bats the way that they are, and they will have advantageous pitching matchups here to do it, then it's not going to matter. I mean, right. you get the if the Diamondbacks throw their best punch and the Phillies throw their best punch, the, the Phillies are going to win every single time. And and that's that's really what we're looking at here. Now I know that we're all sort of wired in a certain way. Like I, I know for a fact that there are Phillies fans out there because I, in, in deep down within, I feel this still, I know you don't, but like, there's always that, well, what can go wrong here? Like, because this could, it's not over. It's only two. Oh, like they yeah. they got to play the next three in Arizona. It's so like, how does this go wrong? And so is it a day off a reset? You get home. Ranger Suarez has been really good, but Ranger Suarez, like he, he did limit in, in the game against the, the second start against Atlanta. He limited base runners. Like he didn't put on a lot of base runners in either start against the Braves. But one of the things that Ranger Suarez had previously done was sort of work his way into and out of damage. Like, I guess I don't expect as good as Ranger Suarez has been in the playoffs for him to go out and throw six shutout innings in game three. I don't, I don't expect the Phillies to be silenced either, but like, is there some world where the Diamondbacks show enough, enough fight that they get one in game three? And now all of a sudden you're throwing Taiwan Walker out there to make sure that the, the series doesn't get evened up at two, two, like you don't want that. Like, and it can quickly happen. So, you know, certainly game three is the Diamondbacks season. They're not going to win four in a row against the Phillies. The Phillies can effectively end the series with a win on Thursday afternoon. 
But like, there is a path for Arizona to get back into this, though it does feel improbable, if not impossible. I get it, and and you're not you're not wrong. I mean, certainly they can win game three, right? I, you know, they would need a lot of things to go their way to win game three. Um, this is only, this is kind of weird, right? That they're in the NLCS and it's only their second home playoff game this year. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it's kind of like, that's kind of a strange thing, right? You, you only played, they had only played one home playoff game to this point. Um, meanwhile, the Phillies who were also a wild card team have played six. Um, it's just, just odd how that comes to be, but yeah, I mean, you know, they're going to come out and know that their season's on the line and try and play like their season's on the line. And, and, you know, they're a right-handed lineup facing a lefty starter. This might, the Phillies might have to kind of go the path that they went in game one against Atlanta um, in this game, just to kind of get more right-handed arms on that lineup. Um, So I think that that's a, that's a possibility. Uh, that you, you get, you know, Arizona gets out to that quick start and then just holds on in game three. And then all of a sudden everybody's like, uh-oh, now it's a series again. I, I don't panic about that, Bob. Look, you're going to – it's baseball, right? You're going to lose games from time to time, and you might lose game a game or two in the playoffs. The one thing about this Phillies team that has been most impressive over the last two years, again, with the exception of uh, – the, the World Series when it didn't happen, but every time they lose a game, they come back right away and, and, and play great the next game, right? And even in the World Series, when they lost game three, get no hit at home, it, it took like a couple of great defensive plays by the Astros to ensure that they win game, f- game five of that series, five, yeah. right? Because the Phillies actually played a pretty good game five. Probably the that or game one is you argue is the best game of the series, both for both teams, right? Both teams playing. Um, so, so yeah, like I, like that to me is another reason why I don't worry as much. Now, if they go out to Arizona and lose game three and then lose game four and it's two, two all of a sudden, I'm still not worried because I know that the next two games are Wheeler Nola, but you cut, you, you, I'm sure there will be some consternation in the sense of, yeah, there's a world where, hey, now it's Zach Gallon in game five and he's at home and he's better at home. Yeah. And are they going to? How did you really let this happen? Right. Again? How did you yeah. let this team back in? That would yeah. be the consternation yeah. for me. More so. And I would still, even if that happens, Bob, even if Arizona wins three and four to tie the series at two, I still remain supremely confident that the Phillies are going to win the series. Right. I mean, so like, I, I, you can I just to- say this? Can I just say this? Like, we learned last year that you you aren't just going to win because of vibes. Like we learned that against the Astros. We wondered like, Hey, we know that this Astros team is better. They they're more battle tested. They, they have proven that they can win in this moment. And the Phillies haven't. And they didn't. And that felt likely, like it felt possible. That's why we picked the Astros ahead of that series. I have a hard time now as we sit here talking imagining a scenario where this team certainly where they don't win this series, but they don't win it all. Like I don't, I just can't imagine this thing not ending in a parade. And I, I know like I, I am not the puff your chest out guy. Like I was the guy at halftime of the super bowl this past year with the 10 point lead going, 
I don't know, man. You know, that's that's my nature. But I just where where does this thing go sideways? And I know it can. It's baseball. Weird things happen. But it just feels like if not this team, if not right now, then when? Yeah. No, they know. They know the, the, the path is there for them. They they are the in my mind the most complete team remaining, and they should get us get you know get this thing through and 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 get there you know have us in a parade. I was joking with uh, with Dan Gelston from the Associated Press on the way out. We were walking out at one like one fifteen one twenty last night, and um, was joking with him. And I said, uh, "Hey, you gonna reserve a spot on the media float for the parade?" <laughs> But like, like I kind of I I'm like you I I think it's going to happen but I do understand that you know the matchup of the World Series is not necessarily going to be an easy one right I mean either right. team is going to give is is going to you know pose unique challenges um, but yeah I think that this team it, it, it just is it, there's a different feel this year Bob than last year it just feels different than than a season ago like last season you were along for a ride yeah and 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 while you are along for a ride this year it's almost like they're telling you strap in because we're going the whole way yeah. as opposed to last year it was just like eh, this could ride this ride can stop at any time right like so like mm-hmm. there's a different there's just a different feel to it well you know what i almost feel like in hindsight looking at last year now like they were trey turner away from winning the world series last year and it's it's almost too simple to say look they they added a couple more high leverage relievers a little bit more velocity in the back of the bullpen and one true difference maker in the lineup but that's really what they were that was probably the difference a season ago it, yeah. it probably was and and you're looking at the impact that Trey Turner's had on this team, and it's just taken everything to a different level. Um, I mean, it really does feel like that, hey, we're going there, we're going to do this, and get the hell out of our way. I mean, that really is what this feels like right now. They're shoving. They're yeah. shoving and shoving hard. Yeah. Yeah. So now you look ahead to game three, and, you know, talking about should you be nervous? What can go wrong? Well, I will tell you on paper, at least, that the Phillies certainly do have an advantage coming into this game. And, you know, I think we all know what Ranger Suarez is about in October and how successful he's been, how many big-time innings and outs he's recorded, and 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 all of that. And so, just to kind of reset here in seven postseason games, five starts, Ranger Suarez is a 1.16 ERA. For all these video game numbers that we're reading about Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, yes, they are more dominant and they pitch more innings than Ranger Suarez. Ranger Suarez has a better ERA. He also has. Opponents hitting 155 against him in 23 and a third postseason innings. He has been unbelievable and and really the X factor that has swung these series for the Phillies because it's great that you have Nola and Wheeler and they have certainly capitalized the Phillies have when those two throw. But man, the fact that they're able to back it up with somebody that's been so effective like Ranger Suarez has been big for this team. And so you love where, where they're at and what they have going out there in game three. And then you look at what the Diamondbacks have, and they have Brandon Fault. And I, I wrote this. We talked about it last night late after the game. I said, I think that the one question everybody wants to know about this guy isn't necessarily is he any good or what's he bring to the table, but how the hell do you say his last name? Yeah. So, you know, you, I mispronounced it the last on our last episode. I yeah. So you, you uh, went to baseball reference. We saw yeah. that the pronunciation was Fault. Uh, I went to YouTube and looked at his highlights to verify that. I can't lie to you. I – Fancy myself to be a Phillies expert. I do not fancy myself to be an MLB expert. I did not catch a lot of Diamondbacks baseball down the stretch this season. So 
that's that's how you say his name. Now, the, the other part of it is, is he any good? And if you look at his regular season numbers, you kind of come to an emphatic no. Um, so just a couple things I want to rattle off here to you. He had a 5.72 ERA in 19 games, 18 starts this season. In two postseason starts, he's only pitched seven total innings, but he has been better, a 3.86 ERA. Actually did a nice job against the Dodgers in the uh, NLDS. Throws five pitches, throws about 94 with his four-seam fastball. Uh, opponents have gotten on his fastball this season. Like one of the things that I pulled up when I was checking out the uh, the baseball savant page for him, opponents are hitting 325 with a 650 slugging percentage against his fastball uh, per Statcast data. Uh, opponents, it's Chase Field when he pitches at home, hit 314 with an 888 OPS against them. It's pretty. It's pretty ugly, dude. Uh, the one thing that I can say for him is that he was better after the All-Star break. So he made six starts prior to the All-Star break, his first six starts in the at major league level. He had a 9.82 ERA. Opponents hit 346 against him. He was dreadful. He was so bad that I actually can't believe that he was given the opportunity to continue to make starts after the All-Star break. I think that that's a testament to the Diamondbacks' lack of organizational depth in starting pitching. And also kind of explains why the hell they don't have a fourth starter lined up for this series, really. Uh, they just don't have a lot of options. But they hung with them, and in 13 games after the All-Star break, he had a 4-2-2 ERA. Opponents hit 257 against them. By no means are we facing a lights-out pitcher here in Game 3. Um, you certainly feel like the Phillies have the advantage here. Odds makers have the Phillies as a minus-130 favorite, which is pretty much in line with where they were at in Games 1 and 2, in that they were about minus-160. And you take the home field advantage into the equation and, and all of that. So, uh, you know, oddsmakers like the Phillies here. By the way, oddsmakers love the Phillies to win this series. They are now minus 750, meaning you'd have to wager $750 to win 100 on the Phillies to advance to the World Series. That's a huge favorite. They're also the favorite, even over the Rangers, who lead their series two games to nothing, to win the World Series this year. So I guess this is all a very long-winded and informational way of saying that the Phillies should win game three. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that I, I think that they're going to win Game Three. Um, you did give us, a, a, you know, a reason to you know have that slight concern, and I think that it's a fair, it's a fair one. Um, but I do think that this, I just don't see this lineup slowing up. I don't. I, I just and you know, fought had a um, he had a decent performance against the Dodgers, right in the clincher of that game at home. He didn't pitch long, but he, you know, when he, what he did pitch, he did, he did a nice job against a, you know, a top heavy, but, but still solid LA lineup. Yeah. Could he do that again? I guess maybe, but I, you know, the Phillies are hitting everybody right now. They, they're hitting, they hit the Marlins pitchers. They hit the Braves pitchers. They are hitting the Diamondbacks best pitchers. Like, I, I don't think it matters. Who the, who the yeah, I mean, they had success the against Gallon. It could have been worse. Probably should have been worse. Yeah. Probably, like we said, he, he actually had a nice start. They got to him a little bit in the sixth. They, I thought, should have blown Strider's doors off, actually, in the second game. They let him off the hook, and they got to free. Like, I mean, the Phillies have seen some decent pitching, even going back to the Marlins series. Yeah. Like we talked about, Lizardo. hey, Lizardo's a tough matchup. I don't love Braxton Garrett, but Lizardo's a tough matchup for them, and they got to him. Like, the Phillies have really not given you any reason to feel like, oh, no, even against a, a top-tier arm. You know, there's always those people out there that are going to say, of course, 
here's the guy that they should pummel and they don't like go figure how ironic. And we know baseball is a funny sport and that can happen, but there's really no reason when you look at this from an analytic standpoint and you just look at the way that they are attacking and the way that they are so dialed in that you would predict that to happen, or you would say, yeah, this could happen and here's why there's no reason to think that whatsoever here. Is there anybody left in the lineup, Bob, that's not getting good swings? No, I mean, even Alec Boehm, uh, you know, we talked about his struggles, but hit a couple balls hard in game one. Um, I actually thought the liner to short was kind of like a little bit more humpbacky, but yeah. he was certainly robbed, uh, you know, with some hard contact in the bat before that in game one. Comes up last night. Nice drive out to center field. That ball actually, I know people don't like love expected batting average, but like that ball had an 830 expected batting average. Like that, that was pretty well struck baseball. And then and, he comes and, back. Well, and and the reason, the other reason why, you, and I'm not a big expected batting average, just like I'm in hockey, I'm not a big expected goals thing. Like, oh yeah, well, it was a good chance. <laughs> like, I mean, that's how I look at it. I, yeah. I don't like, oh, I need to know what the expected goals yeah. were. Expected, no, no, but the, I mean, it's more of a, um, uh, a, a signal that Alec Thomas made a hell of a play to get back yeah, on that ball. Because off the bat, we thought that's yeah. it's, if it's not out, it's it's reaching the wall. And Alec Thomas had a great break on that ball to get back on it. So that that I think that adds to that expected batting average is that it was yeah. a really good defensive play. Yeah, and then he obviously finally gets the hit late in the game, and you kind of wonder like, okay, now he can take a deep breath and say, all right, I too contributed offensively. Um, so his swings have looked a little bit better and yeah, you go up and down the lineup and I, I kind of like, I'm not trying to be like a jerk here or anything, but I almost, I don't care that Johan Rojas isn't hitting or yeah. I don't want to say can't hit, but he certainly regressed a little bit here this postseason in terms yeah. of his offensive production. So uh, yeah, I mean, Bryson Stott, I still don't feel like he's totally in that, that peak rhythm, but yeah, they're all going right now. They really yeah, are. Two hits last night. Yeah, I, I I mean, yeah, he's I, I feel like he's kind of working his way through it. Um yeah. But yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, up and down the lineup, I mean, you you just feel like where's the tough out? And it does validate sort of all of the 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 drooling that we would do back in the spring and that everybody would do when you looked at this lineup on paper and you talked about the depth, and you know, I would use words like relentless and where is the easy out? And every time someone steps into the batter's box, you're like, Jesus Christ, like I gotta go get this guy now. And they're doing that really for the first time all season, all at the same time. And what a time to do it. Um, yeah. It's, they are it's, lethal right now. I mean, you know, you almost look at like last night, you're like, who's the guy that, that sort of had the down night. It was Castellanos. Yeah. And he had uh, an RBI. Yeah. Go figure, you know? And yeah, so it's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, the bar is so high right now that you're like, Oh, you only had a sack fly. Like, you know, you didn't, <laughs> You didn't hit another three balls, 105 miles an hour, two of which went over the fence. Like, what's I going know. on? You know, I know it's it's crazy. So, I mean, yeah, that's where we're at here. So, um, I don't know if you have anything else you want to hit on. I'm actually that kind of wrapped it for me. I don't know if you have. A yeah, no, I, I you know, on. typical one last thing from around baseball and one that we could have gotten to uh, yesterday, but I had two others that I, I put ahead of it. So, I'm going to get to this one today. Um, what was your take and your surprise on what happened down in Miami with with Kimming um, declining her option as the GM for the Marlins? Uh, uh, and 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 really the the story, just in case anybody missed it. So um, Kimming, who is the first uh, female general manager in, in in Major League Baseball, got the Marlins to the playoffs 
um, put together a pretty solid team, made a couple of, of savvy moves at the deadline for veterans that helped that team um, and, and got them into the postseason. She had an, uh, a mutual option on her contract and decided not to pick up that option because Miami ownership wants to hire a president of baseball operations above her. What, what do you make of that? Like that just, it just kind of floors me and surprises me that you have an organization that has, doesn't have a great history of winning. Yes, they have two world titles, but those were like buy everybody and then sell them off the next year kind of championships. That is, that has kind of gone through this patient building of this team and she does a really nice job to get them in position to win and get into the playoffs. And then all of a sudden you go, hey, thanks. We're going to bring in somebody over your head now. Yeah, not only did they uh, want to bring in somebody over her head, but they declined, according to The Athletic, to give her a three-year extension, which is pretty much like standard practice yeah. when you have a GM that's doing a good job and you want to kind of give them a vote of confidence. So there was no extension offered, at least not one that she found to be uh, you know, representative of, of the job that she did. And you want to then bring in somebody over top of her to kind of undermine her after they had such a successful season. You really feel like, wow, this team, listen, the Braves are the Braves and the Phillies are going to spend and the, the Mets are this mega team in terms of what they're going to be able to do financially moving forward. And they go out and they bring in Stearns. And I think that there's some optimism that the Mets are going to one day not be a dumpster fire, which I I would think is going to happen eventually if you keep spending like that. So then you have this little engine that could, and, and she was sort of the architect of it. And you kind of wonder like, damn, the Marlins might be like a force to be reckoned with, with, with what they're building down there. And, and then this happens and you go yeah. now like poverty franchise, like yeah. it's, it's embarrassing. It's a bad look considering, you know, you're talking about that, what she represented, uh, not just even being like the first female executive at that level, but the fact that she was really good, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and to to not make that work, like the optics, like the Marlins can have their reasons and maybe they feel good about this and say, we're going to be better off for it. Not maybe, but when you sit here from this perspective, you say that's embarrassing that, that they, yeah. they didn't give her that contract extension. They wanted to bring, I mean, how the hell do you rationalize that? So it's, it's kind of like same old shit with the Marlins. It sort of feels like. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna be curious. I agree with you a thousand percent. It's it's a bad, bad look for the Marlins. Really, really a bad move in my mind. I'm really gonna be interested to see where she ends up because I think that if she ends up in an organization that's willing to spend money, that she'll she could be is, a, is there it any could be link? an incredibly successful general. Is manager. there any link to her and, and Boston? Yeah, there's been a couple people talking about. Boston is a spot that she could end up um, replacing High and Bloom. Um, and if that's a spot that she goes, I think that there's a, you know, but the only thing with you look at Boston and it's like, all right, well, you, you, Boston's going to have to, if they're going to have to have like a Phillies type situation with Baltimore because yeah. the Orioles are going to be, are they going to be the Braves of the American League East? Yeah. They're young and talented and they're going to be really good. And, you know, they've got, um, they don't have great ownership, but they have a good good management. Um, and I think that they're going to be right in the mix for several years. And so you're going to compete with that. Plus, there's always the Yankees juggernaut. And there's always, you know, money-wise. And then there's always, you know, the Blue Jays have some talent. And you know, the Rays are the Rays. It's, it's, a, it's a wildly yeah. good division year in and year out 
but I think that that's a good spot for her. I think that that would be a really cool place to see someone like Kim Ang maybe, you know, show her chops that she has to compete with the big boys on a, on a yearly basis. I hear you on that front. All right. Well, uh, listen, that will do it for the latest episode or edition of Crossed Up. We will be back on Friday after Friday morning. Yeah, Friday, Friday morning. morning. Yeah, yes, game Friday three, five oh seven start time on on Thursday, which Thursday. works for me, Bob, because yeah. there's a Flyers game Thursday night at home that I have to work. Oh, there you go. Get to yeah, see most gonna... of the Phillies game. You know, probably I'll watch probably the last couple innings from the from the arena. Works out that it's a five o'clock start, not an eight o'clock start. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll be back on Friday morning after game three. Uh, thank you for uh, listening to Crossed Up. If you're new, we actually are seeing quite a few new listeners uh, pick up here, obviously, with everything going on. So uh, hopefully uh, you stick around and continue to listen in the future. You can follow us on Twitter, Anthony at Philly. You can follow me at Bob underscore Wankel. Follow the show account at Up Phillies. You can also check us out on YouTube uh, and uh, any, uh, anywhere else you get your podcasts. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.